You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, this is Leslie and Lindsay and we are here with my friend Courtney. Hi. Hi. Um, Courtney, uh, Courtney and I have little best buddy boys. That's how I know her. And throughout that, we've kind of gotten to know that we both kind of had postpartum and bonded on that a lot. But she's also had a lot of things related to maternal mental health that I'm excited for her to share because I don't think that stuff's really talked about enough. So anyways, let's get started. You have... Tell us about your family. Yeah, tell us how many kids. So, I just have... I just have Kale. He's five. He's, like, the like most perfect kid ever. Sorry to all the moms out there, but I got one. Yeah, you got the perfect boy. <clears throat> um, he is, like, apple of my eye. Perfect everything. He's so good. He doesn't get in trouble. He doesn't... He doesn't like disobey he's just he's good he is a fast learner i don't know he's just he's so good and then my husband jerem he's cool <laughs> how old is kale he's five she said i already that. said she that, said that. I'm but, just so excited about Kale. I like to brag good. about him. Yeah. He's, he's he really is what you're saying. Yeah. He's, he's the sweetest boy. He's so sweet that it makes me nervous. I just want him to be a little sh- sometimes. Yeah. Cuz I'm like I don't really see you at school and I hope everyone's nice to you because people are going to walk over you if you don't like stand up for yourself or like just make sure that you're not letting people run over you kind of thing. Mhm. But I don't know. Hopefully he learns to be, what's the word? Like, not blunt, but like just Bold. assertive. Yeah. Assertive. He, he's yeah. not very assertive. He's just a kind of go with it guy. So. And so tell me your journey of getting Kale here. How did you have like struggles getting pregnant with Kale? What did no, that look like? So, there's always that talk after you get married. You're like, when are we going to have kids kind of thing? And Jeremy and I had dated for like two years. And then we got married. And then, let's see, we got married in 2011. And then like, probably, let's see, Kill was born in 2014. So like, probably like 2013, we decided like, let's start trying to have babies, you know. And that was like at the end of 2013. Because I remember we barely like decided that we were going to have kids and then like there was a positive pregnancy test we're like whoop oh good thing we decided that so that was good and then he was born in march so march 2014 but um yeah we didn't have any problems and it was actually kind of a sad story i don't even think you know this leslie but when i told my mom that i was expecting she was like not happy for me at all really yeah um, I don't right. know. I don't know. I think so. When we found out that we were expecting, we were on a camping trip with Jeremy's family, and she already felt like, um, like I was being taken by Jeremy's family. So, 
she was always like, I don't know, not hostile, but just kind of like boarded up. Resentment. Yeah, towards yeah. them. So when I told her that I was expecting, I called her because we were out of state actually when we found out and I just wanted to tell my mom before we told anybody else. Like she was the first one we told and she was, uh, she was just like, well, I don't really know what to say. And I was like, oh, oh. I was like, okay. Well, cool. that wasn't the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> Probably nothing. Yeah. How about... Take that back. <laughs> Great. Congratulations. Yeah. So I don't know. I try to blur that um, memory out of my head, but I think that's why we waited so long to have to try to have another one. Um, because I was always like to this day I'm like always super nervous about like disappointing my parents and so yeah when she was like not happy I was like oh crap like my mom's not happy that I'm pregnant and I'm married and I'm 24 years old like what else yeah like, what, are, why, what else are you supposed to be what doing? did she want why? to have happen to get you more prepared yeah it was really strange so that was like a, a fun little start to my <laughs> journey to becoming a mom um, not what I expected at all. So, and your childbirth with Kale was pretty traumatic. Yeah, it super was. So, I gained like seventy-five pounds. Which you guys, Mind you, this girl is skin and bone. She runs I, around the shower to get wet. <laughs> I weigh like one eighteen on a good day, on a bad day, because I'm always trying to like round it up. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm one twenty. <laughs> <laughs> like, who does that? I round up because I'm like embarrassed. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I gained like 75 pounds. My whole pregnancy was totally fine. Except for that one time when I was going grocery shopping and I turned around to get my cart and the old lady crashed into the store because she saw my belly because it was so big. She literally crashed into the store, <gasps> like to the wall. And the cops came. They're like, I just, I just looked at her and I couldn't believe that she was so big. And I just crashed into the wall. Are you kidding? Not kidding what? you. And I was like, you better think of a better story to tell your husband. Because that would make my husband mad. <laughs> like, just ask for a pic. Shoot. <laughs> I had given it to her for sure. But, um, so yeah, my whole pregnancy was great. I, like, besides just being so big. But you couldn't tell from the back. That's why it was, like, so shocking when I turned around to get my cart. I see just, a picture of this. I have one. I'll show it to you. But um, We're going to post it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Rye, my dog, is in it. And she's totally posing. Like, I'm taking a picture of her. But I'm not. Um, so, was Kale a huge baby? Yeah. So, he was 10 pounds. Wow. Yeah. But I can't imagine a 10-pound baby on your frame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely interesting. But... I, like, slept through the, you know, birthing class. Like, I don't need no birthing class. Yeah. Just breathe through it, whatever. But I remember... Because you're not stubborn. No. Well, I'm very stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I remember the, like, C-section part of the birthing class. I'm like, Shh. And we left because I was like, that's not going to happen. And then the March 9th came and I had an emergency C-section. I was in labor for, like, over 12 hours... Oh. With, like, no epidural. And then finally I got the epidural, and he was born at 9.26 on March 9th. 10 pounds. So he's actually... And he's uh, ready for kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> they tried to put a newborn-sized diaper on. Seriously? Yeah. I was like, dang. Wow. Yeah, they were, like, total speedos. They were like, these definitely aren't going to fit. No way. Yeah, and he didn't even leave. Like, he left the hospital in three-month clothes. 
so he was in the NICU also. So he was in the NICU for like five days. Really? Yeah. That big? Yeah. So Why? Did he have he, meconium? No. So he kept having low blood sugar. And he was like super lethargic. Obviously 10 pounds. He was super fat. He like didn't know what to do with himself. He just laid there. <laughs> like the Michelin man. Yeah. <laughs> Marshmallow puff. Stay puff. <laughs> um, but yeah. So he was in the NICU. They did like blood tests on him. I forget what like the numbers are supposed to be, but his was like non-existent. Oh. They had to be like a ten before he could be like discharged or whatever. But another funny story: he was actually called the Moose Baby, and they kept talking about the Moose Baby, and I'm like, who's the Moose Baby? I finally asked like one of the nurses because they kept like fighting over this Moose Baby, and it was Kale. Apparently, they're like obviously used to the little two pounders, five pounders, <laughs> and he weighed more than all the babies in the NICU put together, and so they're like, he's oh the Moose gosh. Baby. Wow. Yeah. That's not something, I mean, I haven't heard of it very much, of a yeah. huge baby being in the NICU yeah. for five days. Yeah. And people thought I had gestational diabetes, but I didn't. They gave me the test. They gave me the glucose test. Like, they did twice. And I, the first time I did it, like, was barely close to the border. So they made me do it again. And it was, like, barely below that again. So... Well, like, did they not factor in that you and your husband are both super tall? Yeah. I was like, it's okay like to have 10-pound babies, but but the fact that his blood sugar was low, so I don't know. But hmm. So was that now. stressful for you while he was in the NICU, or was it like, I mean, I feel what, like, how did that go for you? I honestly feel like that's when like the postpartum kicked in because I don't really remember like any of that. I remember being sad that I was going home. Like I didn't want to leave. The, no, I didn't want to leave the hospital. They actually let me stay in the hospital while he was in the NICU. So oh. I was in there because I had the C-section. Oh, so we had to right. stay longer. Um, but yeah, I just remember being like so sad that I didn't want to leave the hospital. And then I remember like Jerem driving us home and I'm just like sad. Like <laughs> that's so what kind of sad? Like I was just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this baby. Like he also didn't latch because they gave him a pacifier and a bottle because I was like so out of it when I first had him. They, so he didn't latch when I was nursing him. So that was like stressful because my mother-in-law was like, that's the only way that they can eat and survive is to nurse. So and being my first one, I didn't know any different. And I wasn't gonna pay for formula when I can just do it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just remember like just being sad and like my husband took his maternity or his paternal Leave, leave, whatever whatever Patern- it's called yeah paternal paternity paternity leave. <laughs> someone out there who's listening to this is rolling their eyes like oh my gosh it's this <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and i just remember him like doing everything plus i i mean i am very prideful so like i don't ask for help and the fact that i like couldn't do anything for myself was really hard like getting out of bed i had to like do some funky ninja roll because <laughs> I couldn't use my stomach muscles and like I couldn't hold kale because it was on my stomach and it hurt and I couldn't nurse him on a bumbo because it was on my stomach and it hurt and but I was I at the hospital I was like different like I was walking to the to the NICU every day they were like you're are you supposed you're supposed to be in a wheelchair and I'm like no I'm fine like I can walk but then I got home and I was just like blah like I just didn't it hit know what to do yeah so, I don't know. I remember, like, Kale would cry, and I'd call Jerem and be like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And he's like, did you change his diaper? And I'm like, 
no and then i think like i was a terrible mom because i'm like how can he think of that and i can't like why i don't understand like why my brain doesn't think of changing his diaper like something any child would be like oh baby has a dirty diaper i should change it and did you feel like you had bonded with him like do you feel like your sadness kind of disconnected you from bonding with him too i feel like sometimes like i feel like sometimes i could bond with him because i remember like i can to this day like look back at pictures of him and be like oh, i remember that like that was so fun and then there's some pictures i'm like what was that from like mm-hmm. i don't remember him being that cute like looking what was he doing on that like videos and stuff i'm just like oh so i don't know i feel like it just i don't know it's like it depended on the day and like if i i don't know got enough sleep or if i ate or if i decided i was going to take care of myself today or whatever it was just like just dependent on the day and when i felt like if i was being a good mom or if i wasn't being a good mom today and and as soon as like that seed was planted that i was sucking then i would just suck and i just didn't care like well someone else better come in step in because i just suck and then a germ was like worried about kale sometimes not that i would like hurt him just that i would ignore him like he's crying i fed him i changed him i don't know what he wants mind you i think back now and kill never cried so like when he did cry it was like a huge deal because i was like oh my gosh he's crying what like he never cries what do i do so and then he started having like ear infections and all that so he's had like four surgeries on his ears and he's had his tonsils out and his all kinds of stuff so i'm just like oh my he was so easy health-wise. He was like an anxiety to me. Tell me about all the ear infections. Did he start getting those when he was a baby baby? Yeah, he was like, he had like 20 something ear infections before he was one. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and they say like, I forget what the number is. It's like 12 Then he needs tubes. So he had tubes when he was 18 months old. And then he had another set of tubes when he was like 30 months old. And then he had another set of tubes, and then we were just like, okay, no more tubes. And then his eardrums ruptured. But yeah, and then they had his eardrums replaced, and then just recently those ruptured again. And so we're just like, waiting. He had hearing aids for a couple of months, and he lost them $2,000 down the train. Oh, <laughs> so, buddy. Yeah. But. So, did you, going back to the part where you were talking about, you know, the sadness and not really feeling like you're taking care of him and beating yourself up like how long did that last and did jerem know that you were beating yourself up as bad as you were like that yeah. part of postpartum like how long did that last did you talk to a doctor like what did that look like yeah. so it was like actually it was kind of strange because jerem knew like i had never heard of postpartum before but jerem's like a genius and he did he knew like what it was i don't know if he like read about it before we had kale or if he like knew about it prior but um like we'd go to the doctor's checkups you know and they'd ask how i was doing and i'm like great and he's like she's actually not but i never like was diagnosed i don't know if you can get diagnosed with postpartum but um like especially with like nursing i went to like a lactation specialist and all kinds of stuff and then they were just like how you doing and i'm like good good i'm not gonna tell you i'm doing bad i'm gonna take my baby away so i don't know i just like jerem was always like yeah no she's something like 
she's not good but he never was like he would never come out and say like you need help something's wrong like he would just say sometimes she's off sometimes she seems sad um like she's kind of like zones out almost and how did you react when he would say that basically for you yeah like not necessarily confused but like what oh yeah like you notice kind of thing yeah because like i notice like i know how i feel but surprised that i can that someone else can see it too that can someone can see it or notice that i'm not good even though i say that i am so i don't know so when he would say that to the doctor or the lactation consultant did they suggest anything did they follow up no only because they'd be like how are you doing good and he'd be like well she's not really good and i'm like what and then he'd be like yeah but he never really gave he would just be like oh okay well if you say you're good you then you're i'm good. not gonna say this tell this doctor that we're gonna fight about whether you're good or yeah. not you know yeah so he would never be like oh yeah no she's lying he would just be like okay but then at home he'd be like something's wrong like you want to talk to my mom about it and like, no i don't talk to your mom about it do you want to talk to your mom about it no i don't want to talk to my mom about it it's just it's just a hard day i didn't sleep i haven't ate i haven't taken a shower i'm tired so but i just knew that it was like sadness more than just tiredness and I think it was just that, I don't know what it was. I think about it sometimes now and it was like, the freedom, no, because I've always wanted to be a mom. Like, the chore of having a baby, no, because like, growing up I always had babies. Like, my grandma always had babies for us, we'd dress babies, we'd take them in the bath with us, so I don't know, like, I just felt sad. So, hmm. I don't know. How long did that last? That, like, the heaviness of that? Yeah, I don't know, honestly. Um, So, I think it was while I wasn't working is when I felt it most. Like, if I was distracted, like, see, I don't know when I went back to work, but I was off for eight weeks, because that's what they call for, for C-section, or yeah, for C-section, and I was ready to go back to work the week, like, at seven weeks, but my work was like, sorry, you can't come back until eight weeks because that's like what you're cleared for and then I remember going back and it was great but that's when Kale started getting sick from daycare he had RSV and then he was in the hospital for like a lung thing that they still never said they thought it was asthma but they couldn't say it was asthma anyway he went to daycare for that and then he started getting super sick so Jeremy and I were both like okay we need to take off work until we can find like an at-home nanny type thing and I just remember from that time, from the time that I was new, he was newborn home with me until the time I went back to work was like super hard and stressful. And then I went back to work and I only worked for like three or four hours a day. So it wasn't like he wasn't at daycare all day long, but I know that when I worked, it was good. I'd be excited to see him, hold him, nurse him, like see how he was, all that. Um, But yeah, I think that was like, when I feel like I noticed a difference in me is when I went back to work, when I was able to go back to work. Mm-hmm. So. I know that's kind of like how you and I have bonded. It's like mm-hmm. we met because our boys were in daycare yeah. together, but we were both like, I'm a better mom because I work. Yeah. I like having that time like, for all you. All the stay-at-home moms out there, like, praises. Oh, I, seriously. It's like the hardest job. Anytime anyone downs like a stay-at-home mom, 
like i'm a throat you punch have you no idea <laughs> yeah like i would do anything than like just being a stay-at-home mom is so hard yeah like i always wish that i could be a stay-at-home mom but like mentally my child does not want me to be a stay-at-home mom <laughs> because i'm a better mom when i'm not at home mm-hmm. so that's so true i've beat myself up so many times because i've tried mm-hmm. so many times to be yeah. a stay-at-home mom i just yeah me too <laughs> yeah anyway so that kind of made things get a little bit better mm-hmm. did it really ever completely resolve like or do you still feel a little bit of it I feel a little bit of it now that I'm struggling with fertility, like resentment of like, why was I able to have one and go through all that? And now I can't have any. And it makes me think like, well, it's because you had postpartum being in Utah. Heavenly Father doesn't want you to have any more children because you had postpartum or I don't know, just, I just, I'm mostly degrade myself because I can't and there's like no reason for it so I feel like that's the worst part of all of this with your situation is they can't tell you why yeah like the ins and outs of all the tests and no one can be like oh but it's this and you're gonna take this medicine it's gonna fix and you're gonna be fine you're gonna have another chance to enjoy a newborn instead of a being sad but now i am sad for a different reason so let's let's walk everybody through that if you're okay with it so at what point did you like start trying to have another baby after kill um he was about three because well maybe he was two and a half german i always wanted to have our kids close together because his sister has um uh, she's 12 and then a, a five-year-old and so we're like wow like they don't even they don't even play together they're like completely on and one's a boy and one's a girl so they're just like totally different you know and so we were always like yeah we want to have them close together and then we we tried let's see three years scales five now so tell me at what point did you think did you realize this isn't working we need to do something about it um so I like, you know, Dr. Google, <laughs> I Googled it and it was like, um, how, how long do you try to have a baby until you like see a doctor if something's wrong? And it was, it said a year, six months to a year. And we'd been trying for probably 18 months. And I went to my OBGYN and he was like, oh, just take some Clomid. I'm like, sweet. Let's take a little pill do a little thing and you'll have a baby did that like three times and he's like we can't really prescribe you any more clomid i think you need to go see an endocrinologist and i'm like no and so we kept trying on our own for i don't know the remaining of another year and then the third year just this last this 2019 we started doing fertility treatment and we did an iui which is intrauterine insemination, which is kind of like IVF, but it's like in your body. So they take a sperm sample and they place it in your uterus when you ovulate and you're giving yourself shots to make yourself ovulate, to grow your follicles. And then they trigger you at a certain time so that you ovulate 
and then they insert the sperm. Um, we did that twice. No, nothing worked. Um, but I guess we did that the first time, and then this before the second time we did um, like a HCG test, which means that they inject dye into your tubes and see if they're clear. Yeah, it was definitely not the funnest thing. It hurt. But they did that, and they did all kinds of ultrasounds and blood tests. And Did they do anything for Jerem? Um, yeah, so, like, when he gives a sperm sample, they, sample, they do, like, some kind of count. And basically, he was a sperm donor. Like, his... They were... He had lots, and they were moving normal, and they were perfect shape, and everything was good. They basically said that right in front of me they're like he's great so like we don't know what it is with you but it's you basically hmm. um but so then we did another iui after we did all the tests because everything came back normal they did extra meds and we ended up with um the first time we did the iui we only had one follicle the second time we did it they upped our meds and we had three and one was pretty small and the other two were big and so they're like okay you could have twins there's two follicles we'll see what happens and like sweet like twins you know two with one time that's great and then failed didn't work so we and all the shots and everything all the medication that you go through just to do iui totally screws you up oh yeah i was psycho and the clomid so yeah Yeah. you're doing everything you possibly can yeah yep and then so after the second iui we kind of just took a little bit of a break and it was little because let's see probably like a week after we found out that it didn't work the endocrinologist called and they're like hey we have a study open there's only one spot left and you're the perfect candidate you're young you're healthy you should do this it could totally work for you and so background i guess an average person is able to conceive a 20 percent chance of conceiving each month my chance of conceiving was like less than one percent with the iui it was like 15 percent, so it didn't bring it up up all the way but it was still better than one percent that i was with before and then the ivf study that we were going to be in was 65 to 70 percent chance of working and so we're like we should do it and my husband was like well it's a lot of money and I'm like yeah but there was no spot in the study and now there is and I feel like it's fate like we have to do it and so we did it and we got um so with the study it was kind of strange we were monitored like at least twice a week um we had to do obviously lots of shots and lots of pills and lots of ultrasounds vaginal ultrasounds (laughs) they were not fun they're not just like the cold jelly on your belly it was like up there um so we did those and then time for egg retrieval um they got 18 or 14 eggs if you had more than 20 you were disqualified from the study and so i was like that's interesting Hmm. So we got 14 <coughs> eggs, eight were mature, um, and all eight fertilized. 
which is really good because, well, in my mind, that was great because that's all the ones that were mature fertilized. But I guess down the road we figured out that eight mature eggs, eight fertilized eggs wasn't good because eight mature eggs was less, or the amount from 14 to eight was bad because that means that my embryos are bad or that they're not maturing fast, which is a bad sign of like the quality of your embryos, which I didn't understand before. So going from 14 to eight was like an indicator that my embryos weren't good, that they weren't growing, they weren't maturing. Um, so we had eight embryos and they were great. They were growing. We did the transplant or the transfer. They only did one because we were part of a study. Normally IVF, you can pick how many you want, but they were only allowed to do one. We transferred, they called, that was on a Saturday, and they called on a Sunday saying all the remaining seven of your embryos died. Mm. They stopped growing, so. And it's funny because just before that, we were like, what are we going to do with seven frozen embryos? Like, I texted you, like, what are we going to do with that? I'm not going to have seven more babies, like, live in Utah, but that ain't me. (laughs) Like, no thanks, but. Um, so I was just, like, stressing about that, like, killing a frozen embryo, that's abortion, or I can't give it to somebody else because that's my kid. So I was so, so stressed about that. And then, um, they called on Sunday and they were like, yeah, they all died, so you don't have any frozen embryos. And so, in my head, I'm like, seven died and I only had eight so what are the chances that the one that they transferred is gonna work and so they were like don't stress it's gonna be fine I was like don't stress you just told me like seven eight of my chances just went out the window kind of thing and so obviously I stressed because they say not to stress because it will affect the embryo and it won't transfer it won't stick whatever and so I had to wait two weeks to find out if it worked but I already knew it, it didn't I don't know why it just like when they transferred it it has to be a blastocyst and the one that they transferred was like a stage before that and so they're like well if we transferred it in like an hour or two it'll be a blastocyst so we're just gonna do it now and in my head I'm like well shouldn't you wait to make sure there's going to be a blastocyst, but they didn't, they, again, part of the study, they had to do everything on time, so they couldn't really decide when they wanted to do it, but, um, yeah, so, two weeks passed, and they, I started my period the day before my blood test, and so I canceled the appointment, and they're like, oh, well, you still actually have to come in, because you have to do the blood test, and I'm like, well, I started my period. And they're like, yeah, but it's for the study, so you have to you have to come and do this blood test. And so, already being, like, sad and annoyed and frustrated with this study, I was just like, alright, take my blood. They had to do another vaginal ultrasound, like, super invasive, like, physical to make sure that all of my inside parts were where they're supposed to be and were doing what they're supposed to be doing so that was like hard for me because I was bitter about it and not wanting to help them because and then 
we also kind of were sad too because if you had any frozen embryos left you were able to keep going and do it for free mm-hmm. and because we didn't have any we were kicked out of the study like we didn't we weren't part of the study anymore so we are basically done with ivf so super expensive and like if you don't know what's going on then why spend the money just for it to not work again so financially emotionally physically it was so hard and so now we're just kind of like at a standstill on what we're supposed to do thought about adoption also super expensive super emotional financially not so much physically but yeah i we just like waiting for a sign or whatever is supposed to happen to just happen because at this point we've literally done everything we can so and more yeah um and just so everybody knows this is just barely this was the last like what in the last two months yeah last month is when we found out that it didn't work again so so this is really fresh for you yeah so how are you dealing with this day to day um because i know you beat yourself up a lot yeah luckily i have again the perfect kid so he helps like take my mind off of it but then he doesn't take my mind off it in the ways that he always asks for a baby when he's gonna have when is he gonna be a big brother when is he gonna have a baby in his family because he prays for a baby all the time and then my sister-in-law will get pregnant and he's like I asked for a baby in my family mm. not in not just a baby so that's hard and trying to help him understand he actually knew like obviously not like all what IVF was but we kind of told him what we were going through and how the doctors were trying to help us have a baby um and then he's like I hope that baby's still growing mom and I'm like it's not kale and he's like is it because I sat on it and squished it and I was like no so that was the fun to explain to him too and again he's five so he doesn't really understand and I wasn't crying when I told him that it died because he sat on it I mean I just told him no that's not why it's Heavenly Father's just waiting for the perfect little one to come and be in our family he's like okay that was sufficient for him so but I feel lucky in the sense that I don't feel jealousy or anger towards people that are pregnant or people that have babies which I know happens to a lot of people Um, my best friend just had a baby and he's so cute and I watch him and I babysit him sometimes and it's great but I don't feel anger or um, envy of people people that are pregnant I don't feel sad like self-loathing I just good for them that's exciting and they're so lucky and try to explain to them that they shouldn't take it for granted like I did kind of so so what would you tell a mom out there that's struggling just like you are um basically what would you tell yourself right now too because you're in it yeah well I just am thankful that I have one like I don't know how it would be for one of the moms out there that haven't or a potential mom that hasn't had 
the chance to be a mom, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard because, because I have one and I've kind of, I mean, I've, I've been there and I've been with him and he's, I've had him and I don't know. I just, I feel for the ones that it's called secondary infertility. It happens 8% of people, 8% of women have secondary infertility. So not very many, but the ones that are out there, they're trying just don't give up hope and appreciate what you do have um, because there are people out there that have it worse off than us that they don't have a little chilled child out there running around annoying them and <laughs> making them laugh and doing all the things that kids do so um one more question what like what keeps you going every day because this is something i feel like that can consume you yeah. right like and there's probably days that come and go that it does consume you mm -hmm. but what keeps you going and probably work and things yeah. like that but being distracted um like kills in kindergarten now so i dive into his life helping him read helping him make friends and not be totally nerdy like when he <laughs> he's like <laughs> hugging everybody and i'm just like Tell him, see you later, dude, or something. <laughs> don't just... Um, I don't know. And yeah, just being distracted and serving others. I feel like serving others... I feel like a lot of people have asked me to babysit. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. Just what? to remind you, you don't want a newborn. They're not fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, people are asking me to baby babysit. I'm asked to go to like baby showers and all these baby things and just like is this like part of my trial to love and serve those that are around me that are having babies and I'm just supposed to somehow channel through them I don't know so I just I just try to stay busy I try to serve and love others and and I shared my IVF journey on Instagram because I wanted to show other people that I am a support for them like others were a support for me when I was going through it and I didn't tell people about it so so talk about it is that yeah. one of the things yeah 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 it sucks that people have to go through this struggle but the support that you can give other people and that you have received I mean I guess maybe that's a reason why we have to go through crappy stuff yeah, yeah. it doesn't make it feel any better nope I know my, we always keep saying like, okay, this is it. Like that was our shot and now we're done. But the other day I was like, we should try it again. We should do IVF again. And Jerem's like, why? Like, do you want to do that again? You said you were done. And now I'm just like, yeah, but I'm not done. Like, I feel like I'm not. There's something. That baby. There's something like, why do you have that want if it's never I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be something out there for me. So yeah, I don't really know why I have such a strong desire to continue to be a mom, to grow my family, if there's like literally no way that I can. Like there's got to be a give somewhere. Financially, emotionally, physically. There's got to be a reason why I can't. Or reason that I can and I just need to figure out what it is 
The good news about you is, Courtney, you don't give up. Nope. You're a fighter. Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.